With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In this edition of Hoopsology, Matt and Justin welcome Ben Gulliver onto the show to discuss his upcoming book, Bubble Ball, Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season. Ben brings some incredible insight regarding his time inside the bubble. From his fondest memories to the challenges he faced, Ben lets our listeners know what the real experience was like for himself and players during one of the most unpredictable times in NBA history. As always, you can get in touch with the show through social media and email at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. We are a member of the Off the Glass Basketball Network. And now, Ben Gulliver. He is the author of Bubble Ball, Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season, coming out May 4th. We welcome Ben Gulliver onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Ben? It's going very well, guys. It's been a long road to get here. You know, I was 93 days in the bubble and spent about two months writing the, the first manuscript of the book and sort of kind of an around-the-clock, uh, you know, labor of love. And so it's it's been almost a year-long journey, more than a year, really, since the shut down last March and I'm just excited that we're almost to the finish line and people are going to be able to kind of hear my story and and read it and, and get an inside look at how it all went down. Well first Ben congratulations as I um, told you off there on the book um, this just can't wait for this our listeners and viewers to check it out and the first question I have for you is I want to get your perspective on just what you think the long-term consequences are for not only just the the players that participate in the bubble, but like yourself in terms of a journalist, the ramifications that we're going to see, you know, two, three years from now. What do you think, um, I guess, we're in store in, in seeing those kind of long-term consequences, if you were to guess? Well, I think I would say, first of all, 2020 is one of the most important years in NBA history. I mean, when you add it all up between the Hong Kong controversy, Kobe Bryant's death, David Stern's death, um, the shutdown during the middle of the year, which cost them billions of dollars, and then this crazy, quirky restart in Disney World. I mean, that's going to have long-term consequences well beyond this year. I mean, I think we're going to look back and kind of say, hey, there was sort of before the pandemic and after the pandemic in all aspects of life, but especially in professional sports, because the nature of fandom has totally changed, right? Everything has gone virtual, and even the nature of journalism has changed with such strict limited access here during this, um, you know, particular period, you know, for example, right now you can go to games at Staples center, but you can't interview players. You can't go to the locker rooms. You can't get very close to the court. And that's been a big time change for everybody involved. Now, at some point we would hope that that goes back to normal, but we don't know when, and we're all kind of crossing our fingers and saying, well, maybe it'll be next year, but that's not really any guarantee either. And so, you know, I think that, you know, some of the lessons about, you know, you could take from the bubble to apply to myself as a journalist or anyone else, you've got to be flexible, you've got to be willing to, you know, stop and pivot on a dime, and you've got to be creative in your solutions. I mean, the bubble, they put this thing together in a matter of a couple months, it cost them hundreds of millions of dollars, there was no guarantee it was going to work. They had to sell the players on all these strict rules and regulations. And I mean, it was hard living down there for me. And I was just a writer. I didn't even have to play and, and deal with the stress of these playoff games, right? And so it was really a, a, lot, a lot of ingenuity, really, kind of put this thing together. And I think for all of us, that's the challenge, right, is, okay, well, if you can't do one-on-one interviews, how can you make the best uh, use of, uh, you know, work-from-home software to kind of uh, connect with players and tell their stories that way? 
Um, how can you maybe expand into video or audio and in other avenues to communicate your messages? Um, live podcasting is a big thing I've been getting into recently where I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of potential there, but look, the whole sports world got sh- uh, shaken up and, and it's still in that process and things have not settled out. And if I knew the answers to that, you know, I, maybe I'd be running a TV network, you know, I'm just, a, I'm just a sports writer. So I think uh, you got to go with the flow, um, and, you know, continue to work hard kind of every day and, and see where things shake out. But I think it's going to be a multi-year process for sure for the NBA to really get back on its feet financially where it was before the pandemic. Justin, you're muted, bud. Oh, I apologize. <laughs> um, the NBA, excuse me, has been very experimental in terms of the, the play-in tournament and then some other ideas they've implemented. Um, I realized the bubble came due to the pandemic, but do you see possibly the NBA implementing some kind of a bubble like in the future, a version of this, just to spice things up? Or do you think, hey, this is an emergency situation. We'll never see this again. No, I think it was a one-time deal. I mean, you know, knock on wood, of course, if things got really, really bad from a, you know, positive test standpoint, contact tracing standpoint, I think that they might have that option kind of in their back pocket as a, you know, a fallback plan. But right now, I mean, look, there was really very little consideration about doing another bubble for this season. The players wanted their lives back and the owners wanted their buildings back, right, to be able to make more money. And that was a decision made pretty quickly after the bubble was complete. Look, and you guys heard the players talk about the the challenges down there. LeBron James, Paul George, Danny Green talking about the mental health challenges. I co-signed all of that 100%. I mean, I put on weight when I was down there. I slept terribly. My anxiety level was up. I felt the isolation. It was hard. And keep in mind, you know, I live at home in a one-bedroom apartment, and I and I drive a Ford. You know, I don't have a mansion like some of these guys. I don't have a a personal chef. I don't have a, a team of assistants. I don't have ten cars or a helicopter to fly to games like a Kawhi Leonard, right? They were, these were major lifestyle changes for the players that were not easy to overcome. And that's why it was kind of on a short-term basis. They all just told themselves, hey, look, it's like a study abroad semester. We can handle this for three months. We'll go down to Disney World, crown a champion, make a bunch of money um, you know, back to kind of salvage the season and move forward. This wasn't going to be a long-term solution that was going to be able to kind of keep everybody happy um, you know, kind of going forward. And I think the good news for us right now the progress in the vaccination has, you know, gotten us to a point where there's very few positive tests here over the last month or so in the NBA. A lot of players and staff members are getting vaccinated. That removes kind of the life and death stakes of needing a bubble, which was the reason why they went there in the first place. You can't have players dying playing basketball, right? You can't have um, anybody who's associated with the sport, their lives being at risk. That's why the rules were so strict down at Disney World. Um, and that's why I, I think that the vaccination is such a game changer because it allows more fans back in the stadiums. It lets the players kind of compete and socialize a little bit more normally without risking, you know, a long term stay in the hospital or, you know, potentially career altering illness or in a worst case scenario, death. Ben, you do such a great job uh, just chronicling that experience in the bubble. Um, I mean, there's so many. There were so many highs and lows that you emphasize in the book. Um, it was just fascinating to read about. Uh, given, you know, hindsight being 2020 and kind of the mental health strain that you mentioned, do you think there are any changes that uh, maybe you've heard of through the grapevine or anything that you think the league or uh, the players would have liked to see given the bubble being what it was, what it, what it end up, ended up being and what we know now? Well, I think the one thing that everybody 
points to is the Milwaukee Bucks protest. I mean, not only was there a lot of outrage at the Jacob Blake shooting uh, by police, but there was also just a big time exhaustion factor. I mean, the players had just been playing every other day for more than a month at that point, and they were just worn down emotionally, mentally, physically. And they built a very aggressive schedule to get through the thing as quickly as possible because nobody wanted to stay there for four months. You know, I mean, it's an insane amount of time to be away from home and away from your families. But at the same time, there needed to be more rest respites kind of built into it, right? And that three-day break, I mean, Mark Tatum, the deputy commissioner, told me that. He was like, we kind of look at that almost like the halftime of the bubble. And it was a much-needed uh, you know, break for everybody to just sort of recharge and recoup and, and get themselves back right. I mean, I'll never forget, like, these guys didn't know what to do with the downtime once they had it. I, I remember seeing Kawhi Leonard you know, doing circles around an empty parking lot in a golf cart like he was a 75-year-old grandfather because there was nothing else to do in the bubble. That was his first opportunity to have more than a day or two without a game or a practice to kind of keep himself busy, right? So um, I think that they probably would have built in a little bit more cushion um, along the way if they could. I think ultimately they would have changed the health and safety protocols very much because they worked brilliantly. There were zero positive tests and that's a major legacy from this entire project. And, and I, it's something I tried to highlight in the book as well. They kept everybody safe. And, you know, for a guy like me, I've had open heart surgery twice uh, because of a congenital heart defect. Like that was on my mind when I was going down there. I didn't want Lou Williams to go to a strip club and come back and get me sick. You know, I didn't want somebody, you know, Rashawn Holmes to go pick up his Postmates and come back in the bubble and somehow get me sick. Right. I mean, these were serious stakes. You know, everybody's health was involved. And so, uh, you know, in hindsight, I think that a lot of the intelligent design that went into the project would have stayed because it worked out exactly how they designed. It accomplished the goal of not only keeping people safe, but of crowning a champion. And that was so important to me. I mean, it's a 74th year in NBA history. The first 73, they had always crowned a champion. To have a blank spot in that record book would have just been such a gut punch. And it would have been such a waste of time and energy for all those players who have been trying so hard prior to the shutdown to compete for a title. So I was so glad that there was a payoff at the end of it. And somebody went home with that Larry O'Brien trophy. hundred percent agree. And, um, you know, you being there on the scene, I mean, we, we all kind of felt through social media and otherwise the stress that the players were going through, we had like a loose sense of, of what that was like, but given that you were there, kind of on the ground floor, so to speak, and and to see the aftermath of that and and everything, and then the bubble moving forward, and now looking at the current season, what's your sense of the health of the league, like the, the infrastructure of the league specifically? So like player-to-player, owner-to-owner, player-to-owner, what's your perception of the health of the league right now internally? They're hanging on as best as they possibly can. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, they're they're taking a, basically a 40% revenue hit by not being able to have full stadiums, sell the merchandise, sell the parking, sell the food, and all that kind of stuff, right? So just imagine any business taking a 40% hit, and you'll, you'll get a good idea what the NBA is going through right now. Um, you know, it's also been translating on the TV side. The product looks okay, in my opinion, in these empty arenas, but it doesn't look great. You know, and I think that when you've got players who are coming in and out of the lineups um, or you're having the empty arenas, uh, you know, not really providing the typical feel that we would expect for the basketball games, everybody misses it. And, and you hear players from LeBron on down and you hear executives from Adam Silver on down saying like, look, this is not lip service. The fans matter. They need to be in the building. It's like a playoff atmosphere is so crucial for enjoyment for all of us. 
even if you happen to be watching at home, uh, you know, on TV, right? And so they're trying to get through it as best they can. I kind of view this year as the bite the bullet season, right? They wanted to get through it. They condensed it. They added a play in to make a little bit of more, you know, interesting wrinkles. But ultimately, they were trying to set up next year for sort of being the more return to normalcy year. And I think the good news is with the vaccines, the crowd sizes are increasing. You know, these playoffs, I think, are going to be quite competitive with a lot of really interesting storylines. And some of these teams are going to have, you know, good sized crowds they can play in front of. And, you know, that will make it, I think, for a more enjoyable experience than maybe like January games were this year where, you know, guys were just in and out. You never knew who was going to play. Some games were getting postponed because of positive tests, and it was just kind of a mess. So I think the good news is the worst is behind us, right? You know, not only from the overall pandemic in terms of lives lost and that kind of thing, uh, but for the NBA specifically, like the choppiest parts of the schedule are done. We've got a lot of good basketball to look forward to. And I mean, I can't wait for these playoffs. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, the, the idea we can get LeBron versus KD in the finals, LeBron versus Kawhi could be in the first round. Now, you know, you get maybe Giannis versus Embiid in the second round, potentially like there are some really interesting showdowns that are not that far away. And uh, we're getting there pretty quick. Agreed. Um, Ben, to that point, um, what do you make of some of these surprising teams this season, Um, particularly the Phoenix Suns? Unless you're a Phoenix Suns fan, I think everybody's been in complete shock in terms of how they performed this season. Do you see their rise in this pandemic season as an anomaly or do you think they are here to stay and they have some staying power? Well, I want to give a shout out to the Phoenix Suns fans because they've been remarkably level headed throughout all of this. Like they easily could have just gone absolutely crazy and said, we're going to win the title. CP has got to be MVP. And I've heard a little bit of that here and there, but um, they're actually taking their success. I think they've actually struggled for so long. It's been like more than a decade since they made the playoffs. I think it was 11 years uh, straight that they snapped by getting in um, this week. Like they haven't known what it's like to be good for so long that they're not even going to gloat about it because they're just so happy to be there. And I love that, you know, because uh, fan bases don't always react so rationally to these developments. I didn't see the Suns coming. You know, I thought they were going to be more like a six or a seven seed, like at best. At the same time, it's just a classic Chris Paul story. And I don't want that to kind of get lost here. This team is not nearly as good. They're not winning nearly as many games without Chris Paul. His impact is absolutely massive. To me, he's got to be in that all-second team, um, you know, all-NBA second team conversation. Um, there was even people questioning, should he be an all-star? But because his numbers are like, you know, a little bit smaller, like 18 and 6 or something like that. To me, that was absolutely ludicrous. I mean, he's a driving force behind this turnaround. Give a lot of credit to Monty Williams for kind of getting the organization going in the right direction. But Chris Paul's impact, he makes himself better. I like to use this phrase halo when we talk about superstar level players, not just guys who get numbers for themselves, but guys who make everyone around them better. And it almost doesn't matter who you put them with. They're going to maximize their teammates potential. I look at LeBron, James Harden, Steph Curry, Jokic. Those are some major halo guys. And Chris Paul is like right up there in that, in that top tier of halo players where you throw them in Oklahoma city, boom, they're the biggest overachievers last year. You put them in Phoenix, they're the biggest shock team besides the New York, New York Knicks this year. He goes to Houston, they have a franchise record, 66 wins, right? I mean, it's just right down the list, maybe 65, apologies. But, um, you know, that's, I mean, that's just who he's been for a long time. Now, there was a question, can they break through in the playoffs? To me, that's a totally fair question. I mean, I could easily see them winning a series and going home in the second round. But that would still be a, a winning season for them, in my mind, based on where everybody thought they were going to be 12 months ago. 
Ben, um, going back to your time in the bubble, um, you mentioned just seeing Kawhi just uh, messing around in the golf cart. Um, did you see anything else that was strange at all about being in a bubble? Anything that kind of caught your eye? You're like, wow, this is bizarre. <laughs> just watching it. Everything was weird in the bubble, man. The whole thing, like, I mean, keep in mind, so we're at this amusement park, but there's no tourists. So it's post-apocalyptic. It just feels really empty and quirky and weird the whole time. So we actually, about halfway through, they opened it up and they allowed us to walk around a 1.5 mile loop. And that was sort of like my favorite activity every day, right? Like stretch my legs, get some fresh air and all that good stuff. But because there was no people and like Orlando is kind of a swamp, like the animals were like taking back control of the kingdom. <laughs> so I was seeing armadillo, deer, hawks, <laughs> alligators, uh, bugs the size of your fist. I mean, the biggest bugs I've ever seen, Florida-sized bugs. I mean, it was wild. And so like you just kind of never knew what the heck you were going to see. And I, and I like the outdoors. I'm from Oregon. So um, you know, I'm, I'm always down for a good hike. But you're seeing these armadillos rolling around. You're you're hearing about alligators, and they put some traps out there at one point. I was like, man, where the heck have I gone? Like, this is what am I even doing with my summer here? You know, um, you know, don't walk too of, far off the path, right? <laughs> they had they had warning signs. I mean, there were look, there was warning signs everywhere. There'd be say, signs that said, look, you're on video surveillance, so don't leave the campus, right? Otherwise, you're going to get thrown into quarantine. Um, and you go into your hotel room, you can't leave. But there was other signs like, look, I mean, an alligator ate a child right here three years ago. Like, don't be oh next. Gosh. You know what I mean? So it was it was weird from that standpoint. You know, in terms of like basketball weirdness and, and like this is just different from normal. It's not like quirky, but having the single site location actually turned out to be awesome. Because like I went to every single playoff game from the second round on. I didn't miss a single one. And I went to most of the first round playoff games as well. Like logistically, even if you were like had a private jet and unlimited resources, like, you know, you're Jimmy Goldstein, right? Sitting uh, courtside at all these games during the playoffs. Even if you have that level of resources in a normal year, you would never be able to go to every single game. Right. So that allowed me to cover last year's playoffs in a much greater depth than I ever would have been able to previously. Right. Like it was in some ways it was basketball heaven. Now, it was really, really challenging and hard, but it kind of felt like a Garden of Eden. You know, we're like, like, like for example, on the day of the shutdown, the schedule was Giannis in the first game, Chris Paul, James Harden, Russell Westbrook in the second game, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Damian Lillard, Carmelo Anthony in the third game. That's eight Hall of Famers in an eight-hour period where you could just watch them up close, hear them trash talk, and sit courtside feeling like Jack Nicholson or Rihanna, right? So I think you add all those things up. I mean, it was a great basketball experience, and like, look, I knew it was going to be as good as I'm ever going to get it from that standpoint. I'm never getting seats that good. I'm never going to be able to see that as many games. And so um, I really tried to cherish it when I was there as hard as the stuff was off the court. Ben, it almost sounds akin to summer league from, from like a basketball viewing standpoint with the, the plethora of games in front of you. But of course, as you mentioned with hall of famers there, instead of a, a lot of players that are trying to make the cut and, and get their break into the league. Um, 100%. And I love summer league. I, I go every year. I've been like to probably 10 straight summer league, something like that. Oh, I mean, nice. maybe even more at this point. Like I'm a diehard. I just rent out a hotel and like stay there for like three weeks. It's always so cheap because no one's dumb enough to go to Vegas in July, you know, uh, besides yours truly. So I, we are. I always, <laughs> well, great. We, we I mean, I'll, see you, I'll see you there next year. It'll be great. Yeah, um, but, but like, you know, the difference in terms of like, fringe NBA players to future Hall of Famers and like the stakes in terms of like some of those, you know, summer league championships. Nice. 
you know, Vivek Ranadive really celebrated that thing pretty hard when the uh, Sacramento Kings won. But the Larry, Larry O'Brien trophy is a little bit nicer, right? And like LeBron right. versus Jimmy head to head in the finals, who's going to win the title? I mean, that that really felt like a powerful moment. But there was a lot of AAU feel to that experience. I mean, just because of the kind of the empty gyms, I remember playing AAU basketball in sixth grade. I mean, we drew more fans to our games than they had for the NBA finals like this past year. I was <laughs> not on their level. I can promise you that, you know, and so uh, th- that was another just weird thing that you had to kind of get used to is um, it felt like a private showing at like the Guggenheim, right? Or like the Sydney Opera House where like these people are world masters, the best at their craft. And yet because of this pandemic, they're not able to experience it with a real crowd. And so if you're just talking about like a select group of a couple hundred people who are actually getting to witness this in person. And I mean, some of those moments, like you guys remember the Anthony Davis Mamba shot, um, you know, the OG Ananobi catch and shoot mm-hmm. three pointer, Bam Adebayo's block on Jason Tatum. I mean, these highlights were getting responses from people like Magic Johnson saying, that's the best block shot I've seen maybe in the playoffs ever. And I'm sitting there like 20 feet away from it, just trying to pinch myself saying, man, I'm like the luckiest guy in the world getting to see this thing. And I really hope that comes through in the book. Like there was a lot of gratitude. There was a lot of like, I won the lottery and I want to kind of share this with my fellow basketball fans. And I tried to keep that in my narrative voice as I was going along, you know, even though I was concerned about my health, as I mentioned, and um, I didn't know if it was going to work and I got really exhausted and worn down at various points. This book is kind of for basketball fans, like anybody who wants that up close look and really wants to feel the game that way. um, I, I really tried to focus on that the whole way through. Ben, one more question for me. Um, given the difference of the experience uh, in, in the bubble and, you know, mentioning that uh, almost AAU or summer league type feel, uh, I mean, I'm certainly biased um, and, you know, you'll probably be able to tell where I land on this, but is there any legitimacy to an argument posed that says this year, the Lakers title, et cetera, should be an asterisk season? Here's your headline. No asterisk exclamation point. All right. And here's why. <laughs> here's why. I mean, not only did the Lakers go 16 and five, which is a commanding postseason performance. So like they beat all comers pretty handily. Right. So you had that's number one. They had the two best players in the bubble. Right. And they both played at a very high level in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So you have to give credit there. But I think the most compelling argument is actually what happened after the bubble. You look at how teams reacted to their play. Alvin Gentry fired before the final whistle, almost their last game in New Orleans. Mm. Brett Brown fired. Um, Daryl Morey hired as the new uh, head of basketball operations for Philadelphia 76ers. Doc Rivers let go by the L.A. Clippers. The Milwaukee Bucks traded Eric Bledsoe ASAP. Get him out of there because he had a terrible postseason. So all these different teams that are in the mix for the title. I mean, these are big shot organizations that are going all for it are looking back at the bubble performances and saying, these counted, these mattered. Here's our strengths. Here's our weaknesses. Here's what we've got to address. We're not just using that as a write-off. We're not just saying like, oh, ha ha, what a funny experience, you know, like Mickey Mouse title and going forward. They're saying, look, we've got to get ourselves in a better spot based on what we saw down there so we can compete for a title next year. And I think that provides the ultimate validation. It's not just about somebody coming out and saying, you know, it's not a, asterisk it should be treated like a gold star i know that was like a popular line out of silver doc river said stuff like that it's not about those words it's about the actions the teams took in terms of major personnel 
front office and coaching changes to try to uh, respond to the bubble. That's the strongest argument to me that it counts. And to me, the quality of play was quite high throughout the bubble too. It was better during the bubble than it's been this year because the players were actually able to uh, stay on the court together safely and, and uh, you know, not miss time because of contact tracing and all that stuff as well. Well, Ben, thank you very much for joining the show. Um, please let our listeners and viewers know where they can um, find the book and where they can find you on social media and then anything else you're up to this year as well. Yeah, the book's called Bubble Ball. Um, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, really where any, anywhere you get your books. Uh, it will release on Tuesday, but you can pre-order um, you know, right now. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Ben.Oliver, and I've got a preview of the book as well as some other kind of behind-the-scenes uh, you know, things from the bubble experience. If you want to see a video of me just getting absolutely doused by champagne uh, <laughs> with champagne by LeBron James, you can see that and kind of laugh at me. A lot of my friends have over the years. Um, and of course, I'm on Twitter as well, at Ben Golver. All my writings at thewashingtonpost.com slash sports. And, uh, you know, we're covering the playoffs here in a couple of weeks. Can't wait. Yeah, me too. Ben, thank you very much for joining the show. Um, listeners and viewers, please go check out the book. Um, Bubble Ball comes out May 4th. Thanks, Ben, for joining the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me and stay safe and, and be well. You too, Ben. Thank you.